0: you want to um, bring up the, well no don't bring up the passage yet, well I've got a bit of an introduction first, oh, I better forget where I am before I start. Right, so you, you will have heard Margaret say this morning that uh, today is the middle of three Sundays where we're looking at fruitfulness on the front line. Last week John gave a, a very useful introduction um, to what that might mean, he, he said it in a different way, if you like making a difference wherever it is that we are each day. If you have time, I would recommend that you listen to his talk, not least because he gave a very helpful summary of pretty much the entire sweep of scripture from Genesis right through to the New Testament, outlining God's plan for us, his desire for us to be fruitful. Because fruitfulness is one way that the Bible expresses, if you like, the proper nature of our relationship to God, to each other. The world he has created. God desires abundance for us, blessing, personal growth into spiritual maturity, and of course, to be a means of blessing to others. So, fruitfulness needs to be lived out in the way we relate to each other every day. John challenged and encouraged us to have the right expectations as we live our lives on the front line, wherever that might be. Do we have God's expectations or something rather more diminished? I found that quite challenging. Do we have a mindset each morning setting out for our front line, expecting fruitfulness or perhaps desert? That struck a chord with me. And finally, John looked at the passage of 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 9, and that the, the gracious truth is that it's God who causes things to grow. It's his decision and purpose, his action that brings forth fruit. Well, of course, we still have a part to play, and in the passage we're looking at this morning, Paul describes that as walking in the Spirit. So let's look at the passage, Galatians 5. 13 to 26 and it's on page 1172 in the church bibles you my brothers and sisters were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh rather serve one another humbly in love dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Put out the slides. Right, good. So, well, the first thing that struck me about this passage when I was preparing it was this, this word freedom at the beginning. You were called to be free. And I was thinking, well, I'm sure some people would find the idea that Christianity is about freedom to be, quite frankly, laughable. If I put that in my personal context, so I, I work in an office. I've been an accountant for pretty much 20 years And my experience has been that pretty few of my colleagues are Christians. The people I meet at work might think of Christianity as a religion of rules, restrictions. They might think of us as bigots, because we place restrictions on what we think is permissive in society. They might think of Christianity as being about the do-nots, the Ten Commandments, limits over things that they enjoy, sex. Drink, gossip, permissiveness. So, my colleagues might define freedom as personal liberty, and they might think that Christianity is precisely the opposite of that freedom. So, what is it? What is this freedom that Paul is proclaiming here? Well, to put it in context, Paul was, of course, writing to the church that he'd founded in Galatia. That's part of modern day Turkey, I believe. And this early church included both members from a Jewish background and also Gentiles, non-Jews. Many of the Jews really valued their inheritance, their Jewish culture, the rules of conduct that set them apart, that they felt made them special. Those Jews had received the message of salvation by faith that Paul had taught. They had come into the church, but perhaps they hadn't put off their Jewishness. Some tried to re-establish, if you like, and force, even on the Gentile Christians, some of their most precious rites and rituals, and particularly here, earlier in Galatians, the rite of circumcision. Well, Paul, Paul was absolutely livid about this and was determined to stop this teaching. Paul is desperate that the Galatian believers hold on to the truth that faith is what matters, not a lifestyle of careful obedience to the minutiae of the law. And if you think about it, Paul would know that. Paul started out in life as Saul, a most upright Jew, a strict Pharisee. He had done his best to live the minutiae of observance that the Pharisees believed brought them close to God. And yet... When Saul had his real close encounter with God on the road to Damascus, all of that observance for the law counted for precisely nothing. Saul was humbled, blinded, made dependent on others in that moment. And only through believing the words that Jesus spoke to him did Saul find what he had been looking for all those years as a Pharisee. The way to righteousness was through faith and not through observance of the law. Because, of course, perfect observance is beyond us all. So Paul was not about to allow his Galatian church to be diverted from the gospel, the message of salvation by faith. And when he wants to make a point, Paul does not hold back with his language. He describes the effect of the law as being akin to slavery. He describes circumcision as worthless, worthless. And wishes that the agitators would go the whole hog and castrate themselves. If you don't believe me, this is all in the first few verses of chapter 5, which we've uh, not read out. Of course, this would have been incredibly insulting to the Jews. But wow, Paul was not a man to hold back. I do sometimes wonder whether we would have warmed to him. So, freedom yes, freedom freedom from the law. Freedom from striving to achieve salvation by effort and observance. I hope that you feel that truth. Or do you feel the need to work out somehow to achieve God's approval for yourself every day? Well, this passage makes it clear. We really have been set free from earning our salvation. Freedom, but, and there, and there is a but, verse 13. Freedom is not for selfish indulgence freedom is not license to carry out carry on however we please as paul said elsewhere in romans 6 verse 1 shall we go on sinning so that grace will increase no absolutely not now i don't know what your personal experience was like when you first became a christian i grew up in a christian home made a commitment at quite a young age my parents were missionaries and Surprise, surprise, I spent much of my formative years, therefore, in quite a distinctly Christian environment. I didn't have a sort of strong conversion experience, a big change in my values, if you like, or a, of my fundamental beliefs like Paul did in, on the road to Damascus. But I'm sure we've all heard plenty of Christian testimonies that speak of conversion as a feeling of freedom and release from many different things in people's lives before. And perhaps that should be in our mind when we're on the front line. What is it that our friends on the front line value? What is it that they live their lives by? What is it that imprisons them? What do I see? I see a great deal of, in my office, desire for money, desire for self-worth, to be successful. These are some of the laws, if you like, that my colleagues live by. And boy, wouldn't they be blessed to be free from those chains? Wouldn't I? Don't I feel those things sometimes? Well, the good news is we've now done most of verse 1. But I I promise we will speed up a little bit from here. Lest we're here still by tea time. So, we'll, we'll come in a minute to the fruitfulness that comes from living life in the Spirit. But first I just wanted to look at the what and the how of living by the Spirit, and this is what Paul says in this passage. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul completes the description of freedom by telling us to serve one another in love, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said something very similar. In Matthew 7, verse 12, Jesus used the words, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And then he goes on to say in the start of verse 16, so I say, live by the Spirit. So if you like, the, the what of living by the Spirit, what's it supposed to look like, what's it meant to be, is that description of serving one another in love, loving our neighbor as ourself. You see, we're freed from that burden of perfect obedience to the entire Mosaic law. And when Jesus met the Pharisees, that was kind of his judgment on them. They were living for themselves and they were not loving others. We're to live out, you're to use our freedom to live out the very essence of the law, by loving others, and we do this by walking in the Spirit. So let's examine how we go on walking in the Spirit. To be a bit more precise, let's look at um, a couple of the verses. In verse 18, it says, If you are led by the Spirit, and in verse 25, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So these these words express two two quite different types of walking with the Spirit. Firstly, being led by the Spirit. An image that springs to mind for me is the picture Jesus gave when he talked about being the good shepherd who looks after his sheep. Well, sheep are pretty passive animals, in the illustration anyway. And the Holy Spirit takes the initiative and leads us Interestingly, the words led by the Spirit were also used of the time after Jesus was baptised. He was led by the Spirit into the desert and was tempted. Something where we're passive and the Spirit leads. Well, I'm a kind of practical kind of guy sometimes. If I can't see a way to follow the passage, I don't know quite what to do. So what, what does that being led look like? How do we experience that being led by the Spirit? Perhaps some people might describe it as that conscience, an insistence within us prompting us towards good, away from evil. I was trying to find some other kind of illustration. I'm not sure it's a good one, but I don't know if you remember, for some of you, it's probably a long time ago, when you were at school, maybe a physics lesson, and you got a piece of paper and you scattered iron filings on it. And then you introduced a magnet underneath the paper. And what happened to the iron filings? They aligned, if you like, to the magnetic field. Does that work for you? I think there's a picture here. I'm not suggesting the magnetic field looks like God. But um, perhaps that spirit leading us is a bit like when we're close to the spirit. He aligns the iron filings of our life. To the magnetic field that he's projecting. Well, maybe. And I think the thing is, as long as you're close to the magnet and remain in him, the iron filings line up nicely. When you take the magnet away and you drop the piece of paper, everything falls apart. Secondly, and very differently, Walking in the Spirit is described as keeping in step with the Spirit. This is quite a different walk. It's purposeful. It's active. It's a choice to deliberately walk the path the Spirit walks in front of us. And that path is a definite path. Do you remember Jesus talked about the narrow gate and finding it following the right path and not the broad road that leads to destruction. Can we make that choice every day? When you put it in those terms, I, I hope that walking in the Spirit, following in his footsteps, is something we can relate to. Something that we should be in our thoughts many times every day. Pretty much at every point where we have to make a moral decision, one that looks at our values Do we choose to walk in line with the Spirit or off on our own path? Well, if you're anything like me, this is not something that just happens by itself. It's not something that you're perfect at. Um, I'm glad my wife's not here because she's leading pebbles or gems or something. But um, She would probably be looking at what, what on earth are you doing up there, Phil? I know all of your weaknesses. Well... Let's read verse 17 again. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. And Paul talks a lot about this struggle in his writings. Of course, we can't ourselves throw off our sinful desires, our sinful nature, just as we can't save ourselves through obedience to the law and the struggle is painful it is for me I'm sure it is for many of you in verse 24 Paul goes as far as saying those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires crucifixion was the, the worst of the Romans methods of execution it was cruel it was agonizing it was slow it was to terrorize people who saw it from wanting to commit the crimes that those poor people who were crucified had done. I don't think this description is casual or a mistake and it's repeated obviously in various forms elsewhere in the New Testament. This struggle against our pre-salvation selves is bitter, it's serious and it must result in the death of our, our sinful nature. So I think we can expect that walking in the spirit is bumpy. Verses 19 to 21 list some of those acts, the characteristics of our sinful nature, or to put it another way, the the fruits of walking our own path. Now I must say, with lists like this, I'm always tempted to feel smug about the ones I can confidently cross off. I definitely haven't done any witchcraft recently. It's been ages since I've been in an orgy, but you know. (laughs) And then you sort of skim over the ones that A bit too close to home. If you're like me, I expect you recognize some of them and struggle, that you know that you struggle to avoid them. On my front line, in the office, jealousy, selfish ambition, discord. These things rear their head all too often. Paul describes these acts as obvious, and they are. I think we recognize them easily. It's not a complete list. They encompass aspects of our lives, sexual sin, spiritual sin, internal sin, sin towards others, sins of excess, they're examples of the cravings and the desires of the life we have left behind. Reflect again for a moment on the values you see and experience on your front line. I'm sure some of my colleagues see things listed here as valid choices, some of them they might even describe as virtues. My boss likes people who are ambitious because he thinks he'll get more out of them. So the world we live in values tolerance of what other people choose to how other people choose to live their lives. They'd probably defend most of these acts, with the usual caveat, as long as no one else is hurt. But don't let's be deceived. These acts are hurtful to us. To others and to God, and are plainly not on the path the Spirit sets before us. Making a difference on the front line can feel uncomfortable, exposed. That's because the path the Spirit is leading us on, the path we are following, is going against the flow. Well, that was struggle. But there is some good stuff. Verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our lives in Christ are no longer marked by that alienation from God and conflict with each other and ourselves. Rather, we can experience God's fruitfulness in our lives. Very importantly, it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of us. I thought that was very clearly done in Margaret's um, little clip earlier. I thought, why am I bothering standing up and giving a message? Because that pretty much said it all. As we walk in tune with the Spirit, as we are that tree that's got the Spirit flowing and living inside it, giving it life, so we will experience the outflowing of the Spirit in our lives. It's freely given. It's not achieved. Our character is transformed and becomes fruitful because we walk with the Spirit. Jesus said it very clearly in a slightly different way. In John 15, Jesus called himself the true vine and said that no branch, meaning us, can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Isn't that a great comfort? No wonder Paul wanted the Galatian church to live in the truth of this message. got another illustration which um may um, oh well, there we go freely given not achieved good right i don't know if you can see that um, my my son loves top trumps do you know what they are they're packs of cards of similar types of things that rank them by different attributes it might be sports cards horsepower top speed and so on superheroes strength cunning, fighting skills if you were a top trump what would your attributes look like? what would those on your front line identify your attributes as being this is um, we don't have these top trumps this is just off the internet somewhere this is Zacchaeus. I feel something of an affinity with Zacchaeus. He, <laughs> I'm, I'm an accountant, all right. He was a tax collector sort of thing. Matthew, don't, don't forget, Jesus changed Zacchaeus' life, and he also called Matthew, another tax collector, to be one of his disciples, so I'm sure accountants aren't all bad. Um, tax inspector, attributes, well 100% selfishness he's going to win that one isn't he but when he meets Jesus and he's transformed he changes what his life looks like what his attributes are they change have you been transformed and that's hopefully not the end of the picture hopefully he will continue to manage his temper and decrease his selfishness as the fruit of the spirit is is outflowed in his life have you been transformed by walking in the Spirit? Well, okay, it might be a terrible illustration, but hopefully it's memorable. You know when, um, when somebody the service leader, when the children come in, turns to the adults and says, so what have you been learning about today? You can say top trumps, all right, if you don't remember anything <laughs> else. All right, that will get me some brownie points with James. Um, good, so God is gracious. He wants to bless us. He knows and understands our weaknesses, and therefore, He has given us the solution. He has sent His Spirit to be with us, to lead, to guide us. John encouraged us, and I think I'll repeat that, to try starting each day with the intention to be guided by the Spirit. Pray that you will have the strength to follow well. Pray for opportunities to show love to others. Ask God to let you in onto what he is doing on your front line. And hopefully, this is not something, this is not a walk we do by ourselves. I don't think it's meant to be something that is just an internal thing with the Spirit. Find other Christians, if you can, who you share your front line with. Share your experiences with your Christian friends at home, at house group, testimony here in church let's encourage and build each other up as we seek to be obediently continuing in walking in the spirit and we pray that we'll be transformed to be like him and that his fruit will overflow into our lives bringing a harvest both of righteousness in ourselves and also a harvest of good to others